welcome to this week's episode of Your Soy, and it's Election Day. So first off, before we get started, everyone, take a deep breath. In, out. Okay, so everything hopefully is going to get better. I hope tonight, in less than 12 hours, or about 12 hours from now, um, things will get better, I hope. But, you know, one thing I wanted to just let you all know, first, if you're listening to this and have not voted yet, um, today, if you're listening to this on election day, is your day to go do that. This is your last chance. Um, and, you know, I'm one of those people who really do, who really firmly believes that when you vote, it doesn't stop with just your vote, right? That is powerful, and that is your part of your voice in getting uh, that vote cast. But you know, no matter what the result is tonight, the way I view it is that it's just the beginning of the work that needs to continue to happen or to start. Um, you know, when 2016, when Donald Trump got elected, I think that energized a lot of people to get into action and to march the women's march the day you know on his inauguration there was a lot of movement and and that can't stop right no matter who's elected uh if donald trump is re-elected we have to double the, our efforts if um joe biden is elected just because a person gets elected doesn't mean everything just magically changes a lot changes um things improve and policies make a difference but it doesn't stop there. And, you know, I really will encourage everyone who's listening to continue to stay engaged, right? Not only stay engaged at a federal level, but stay engaged locally. Um, look at what's happening in your city. Look at what's happening locally. Um, ballot measures, who's on your city council, uh, mayor races, state house, state um, senate, all of those things really have a big impact in our life. And so I want to make sure that we stay engaged and um, moving forward. And especially people who are listening who identify as Latinx, LGBTQ, um, our collective voices, our collective action can make a huge difference in not just elections, but um in so much more, in policy, in all of these things. So I'm going to be doing um, a lot more um, political, some episodes that are going to be a little bit more political in nature in hopes and in, in, in an idea to continue these conversations and to continue pushing this forward. Because no matter the outcome tonight, um, you know, it doesn't stop, right? We don't just sit back and say, oh, things are better um, because they're not. And so we really have to continue fighting. So I wanted to say that, right? And I also want to say, too, that, again, if you have not voted and you're listening to this, please go vote. Make sure your voice is heard. And, um, and yeah, and we will – this is a big deal, y'all. This is a, a big – as, as Joe Biden would say, this is a big fucking deal. So go vote if you haven't already. All right. So all of that done, I am excited about my guest this week. Now, this is um, – I got to sit down with Nathan Barrera Bunch. 
um, we were good friends, um, and I knew him in college. And we did this interview. I just want to give you all some context because you're going to hear things, and it's going to be, like, essentially time-stamped, right? Because we did this interview a while ago, right when – and one of the timestamps is uh, Kamala Harris had just been announced – as Joe Biden's running mate. So I th- you know we talked about the election and what it means so you can date back to we were uh early uh, late summer uh, having this conversation but I thought it was appropriate Nathan is a fantastic activist and very engaged in uh his community and so I wanted to have this conversation with him about the election um and also exciting that Nathan and one of his fraternity brothers is la- are launching is la- are launching a new podcast as well called Identity, uh, the T T E A Identity because like you know what's the T girl so anyways uh, <laughs> so uh, that's on is on its way so we talk about that as well we talk about the election so hope you enjoy this episode with Nathan Barrera Bunch. Welcome to Yo Soy uh, Podcast. So I am here with Nathan Bunch. Um, you are in D.C., Washington, D.C., and in quarantine like everyone else, I am yeah. sure. Uh, but Nathan, I'll let you introduce yourself, what you do, and, and then we'll go from there. Uh, yeah, so Nathan Bunch. Uh, I started trying to be more intentional with using Nathan Barrera Bunch. Um, I've had it as like my professional name for some time. Um, and we can get into more why I haven't legally changed it yet. Um, but when I moved to uh, the DC area in 2014, I started using it professionally. That, that was in the time that I did it. Um, yeah. So um, what was your other question? I no, no, no. That, that actually, that's a fantastic thing yeah. to bring up, actually, because yeah. it's so funny. You know, we know each other from from college. Yeah, yeah. And I used to go. A lot of people in college know me as Alex, right? It's Alex uh-huh. in, in uh-huh, college. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and yeah. then when I moved to Austin, I was like, my name's Alejandro now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> so I this is my rebirth. <laughs> it's like a the, rebirth. It's like it's then like the next season of your rom com. TV exactly. show starts and you're like, actually, like I'm going through uh, a reconstructing right now. So yeah. exactly. So work yeah. in progress still, yeah. but we finally have achieved there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's awesome. So, so tell me um, what, what led you to DC to move into the yeah. of the country? Yeah. So um, I was really involved in undergrad. Right. And so, um, right. So I did my undergrad at UT Austin. You and I met when I was at Florida state university for my master's. Um, in my first year at UT, I got involved right away. I was involved in student government. Um, and that spring they did a, um, UTSG, um, in DC, uh, which is every year they would take a trip and we would go with other big 12 schools. So like Iowa state, um, Baylor, oh, God, I'm forgetting conferences at this point because they've been so far out, right? <laughs> and was with us then. Kansas. Um, uh, there you go. Like all the schools know. in the States that I'm like, why would I go there? Right? <laughs> um, so it would be a big delegation. Right. And so the big 12 uh, student governments would work together to identify issues that were of uh, similar priority or um, prevalence to undergraduate students and lobby for those. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were working on the Lincoln commission that year. 
um, which and the Higher Education Reauthorization Act. Um, and mind you, this is in we went in two thousand seven, um, and so you know pre <laughs> recession, <laughs> um, pre Obama. Uh, there were so many things that it's just a whole different world. Right. Um, and uh, I was one of maybe two freshmen that got uh, selected to go on this like fourteen person delegation um, to DC. And um, I was with one of my um, mentors at the time, who was another undergraduate student, Marcus Seniseros. Um, and so like they took me um, and it was, it was such amazing experience, right? Like I had left Texas a few times as a kid, like on a vacation one time, if we had family in uh, Indiana, New Mexico, which is like right next to El Paso. Um, and so I hadn't left the, the state that often. And we get there. And I remember the moment that like, just like, oh, was so DC for me. We were um, getting to the hill and we had gone through the metro, right? And so this is my first time on like an underground metro. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like what? It's an underground world. There's, what is this? Thing? Right, because when you grow up in Texas, like very few people have basements. Right. Um, and like the idea that things are underground is just beyond weird. <laughs> but we got off at um, Capital South. I think that's the stop. Um, and there's a kind of a long escalator and a lot of DCs, a lot of uh, metro shops are known for like their long escalators. And so we get up and all of a sudden it just gets to this viewpoint where you like see everything all at once. And we got up and then just boom, I could see the Capitol and, you know, just people and suit and ties and briefcases and like all this like DC energy. And I was just like, Oh wow. And, you know, then we were like in the halls of Congress. We got a private tour um, with uh, up to the top of the Capitol, like out there. And so I got to and I haven't been to that part of the Capitol, like on the dome since. Um, yeah. and it's just one of the coolest experiences. And and so I just was so like, ah, oh. but uh, I never did internships or any type of study abroad in undergrad. Um, and so when I got to Florida State, I was like the summer in between. My first and second year, I'm doing uh, an internship somewhere else. Um, and, and a lot of, I was in a higher education master's program, and that's typically what a lot of people do. Some people will stay, other people will find an internship at a university somewhere else and to get experience. And I wanted to be in DC no matter what. That's awesome. Um, and I got an internship at um, the Institute for Higher Education Policy. Um, I was a research assistant and I was doing research on a couple of our projects for them. And so I lived there that summer in DuPont Circle. And I was like, I have to come back next summer. I interned after I graduated at the American Federation of Teachers. Um, and so then after uh, a contractual uh, appointment that I had to another uh, institution, I was on the job search and I knew I wanted to go back to D.C. By that time, I'd already met a number of friends. More people were moving there. Um, and so the University of Maryland College Park, um, there's a lot of connections between people that either went to school there and then did their master's at Florida State or did their undergrad at Florida State and went there, worked at both, something like that. Um, you're familiar with Dr. Laura Osteen from mm -hmm. um, yep. this Center for Leadership and Social Change now. Um, and she had done her PhD there. And so one of my uh, roommates was from from grad school, did his undergrad there. 
Um, and so there's all these connections and a position opened up um, as the advisor for the Multicultural Greek Council and the National Panhellenic Council. I was like, this is the job that I need to take. Right. Um, yeah. And so that was... So it, got you, it got you to DC then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. That's awesome. And so is it true what they say, like that, or being in the center of politics, right? Like the DC sure. is the capital and there's a lot sure. of... A lot of ideas of what people have of what dc is right sure are those ideas real um yes and no um a lot uh sometimes people call dc the hollywood for ugly people uh, <laughs> um and so you know some of the stereotypes that I, I guess the stereotypes that exist people maybe aren't even necessarily fully aware of um which is that you know you it feels like you can't in my first couple years here, I feel like I couldn't go anywhere without someone without someone being like, "Oh, so what do you do? Oh, did who do you work for?" Like, right, and right. every conversation is just like people's resumes falling out of their mouth, right? And there is a good vibe to it because you know you can you make friends here, and so many people are very motivated, but not everyone works in politics, right? Um, right. DC is a hub for a lot of nonprofits. Um, it's a lot. It's a hub for a lot of non-governmental organizations. Um, there's a ton of different stuff here. So, you know, not everyone works in the government, but there are a lot of people here that take themselves very seriously. Um, and, and I'm just picturing yeah. like my, my Mr. Smith goes to Washington, like, moment, <laughs> yeah. right? which I'm sure a lot of people like come off the train or go, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was kind of my experience in, in you know, 2007 when I was 19, um, was, like, oh, wow, okay, cool, you know? And then it becomes like home after a while. One of the things about DC that's very, that a lot of people don't realize is that it's very small um, and everything's everything for the most part is like kind of close, right? Um, it's broken into four quad quadrants um, and it's very easy, unfortunately, to stick to your area. It's, it's rare that, especially now during, uh, during the pandemic, that you leave this area too often. Right. Maryland and Virginia are right close. And so I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, some people, you know, live in Virginia, work in DC or live in DC, work in Maryland. That was my first year. I lived in DC and Northeast and I um, would, you know, take the train up to Maryland every day. And so the DC area that we call the DMV is very large. And so there's a lot of robust culture um, and there's so much culture to the DC. Um, one of the things that is a problem is that you've got people that are from here and then people who are transplants and mm -hmm. the transplants are the people that have really changed the way the city looks. Um, and so DC at its heart at what DC really is, um, doesn't necessarily, I think, represent, um, what most people think of it as, if that makes sense. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And then that's the case. A lot of major cities in the United States, right? I think of Austin where you yeah. did your your grad school, Austin has changed. I'm yeah. sure when you visit, you're yeah. like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I finished undergrad in 2011. And, um, when I would, I would go back all the time cause I missed it so much, but then there was a, a while that I wasn't there. And every time I would come back every couple months, it was like, boom, boom, boom. New sky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean the, the skyline, just even in the five six years I've been there, I'm just mm -hmm. like, Whoa, everything is so different. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask you too, cause you know, how, how is the gay community in a city kind of right. like, 
um, like DC, right? Like mm-hmm. is it very more because I I think about Austin, for example, and sometimes I see you know people not caring about their own community or caring about mm-hmm. the the issues that are happening in our community and politics, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Is that the same in DC? Would you say, or are are people in the gay community a lot more tuned into what's happening politically um, mm. because of the location where they're living? You know that type of stuff, or is it? It's a both and, right? So I think a lot of us take for granted where we live in, right? Uh, for the longest time. You know, and I didn't know this growing up, um, but when I was growing up, like the gay city was San Francisco, right? And like right. in Texas at the time, it was Dallas. Um, but DC is very much a, a gay haven right. uh, for all intents and purposes, right? Because it, it it is for the most part a socially progressive in terms of performative politics and policies. Um, and I, so I don't even know when, but you know, DC. Um, had the right to same-sex marriage before a lot of places did. Um, I can, you know, for years, I for two for about two years, I was working at uh, the human rights campaign, and that is it was about a seven-block walk from the apartment uh, me and my fiance moved into, and I also worked at a gym on the side, and the that gym is like very queer, um, very gay, and you know I could go weeks without ever knowingly interacting with a straight person, right? Or like intentionally, right? Like they're like everyone that would come to the gym, I would, I'm like, he's getting like in my mind, you know? And so there is a level of involvement, um, but because we have like the gay thing kind of down or at least the white gay thing um, in terms of who has the most access to resources and feels equitable, I think people forget the need to be involved, right? So last year, um, there was a series of attacks against black trans women, right? And so, um, and and we were disproportionately, I feel, uh, experiencing it to what we imagine this haven to be. Um, and you don't hear a lot of um, outcry uh, from the you know the gay community, specifically cis men. Um, because I think so many people are like, for me, I left Texas and knew I wasn't staying in Tallahassee because I needed what I wanted here. Right. And, and I didn't even know what that would look like. Right. I just, I was like, there's going to be gay dudes. So like, I'm a go. And you know, it's, it's, it then became like me finding a, a kickball team in a kickball league, which had like, oh, has over 800, I think maybe past a thousand people in it. Right. It's huge. Right. So everything around me was gay. And when you come from Texas or when you come from the Midwest or you come from the middle of where the fuck, like you then get here and you're like, okay, I escaped. And so I'm going to kind of focus on that. Right. And right. you know, if you're coming for a place where your family disowned you, if you're coming from a place where you never knew anyone that was gay. And, you know, I came out in 2001, I came out before September 11th. And so you get here and you don't think about the work that still needs to be done, right? We don't think about the advocacy that the trans community needs, that queers of color need. We don't think about the disproportionate effects that 
systems as they exist have on people because we're still so we're we were so used to living from our place of our oppressed identity that we don't get that right and so my activism and my involvement has changed over the years um with the most recent sort of reckoning and uprising of black lives matter i think a lot of people have had moments of like wait what am i doing like am i am i engaged right Right. And, and the reason and why are you engaged? Right. I think there's yeah, also yeah. a lot of people who the, the performative, um, mm-hmm. activism, right. The performative, let me post this because mm-hmm. my friends are watching, right. As opposed yeah. to what are you actually doing? And so to that point, and this is where I was going to get at it. How have you seen either yourself, your, well, let's start with you. How do you see yourself having changed or grown mm-hmm. in activism? Like you were mentioning. Yeah, you know, I think my definition of activism has changed over the years, right? So when I got to UT, I like just dove into student leadership, right? Um, My freshman year, student government, um, the liberal arts council, um, a bunch of stuff. My second year was when I joined Sigma Lambda Beta, um, and then I got more involved in the Latino community. And... And so my activism, my involvement was through that, right? Right. And then as time went on and I realized I wanted to go into higher education and student affairs, it was through my profession, right? Then in grad school and uh, developing social justice curriculum for students and and things like that. Uh, And then when I got to D.C., it was figuring out what it meant to be like a full-time professional, right? And so I was still figuring all those things out. And I wasn't as involved in the community as I would like. Um, and also, like, it's hard, right? Like, DC's expensive. It's so expensive. People don't realize how expensive it is, um, which also, like, it's just rampant gentrification um, so much, right? And so when you're trying to, you know, when you're working, especially when you work in student affairs and you have late nights and stuff like that, um, I wasn't as involved in hindsight as I should have been. But again, back to that piece about, you know, feeling like you're involved because you're surrounded by so many gay people, right? But I was just going to like kickball games and getting drunk on Sundays. You know, like that's not that's not activism. Right. Um, but for myself, I was involved, right? And, and and I do think that like developing your leadership skills and your social skills um, is a form of activism in terms of self-development, right? So like all the things that I learned from that time, I think helped con- tribute to where I am now. Um, and so it's grown over time because, but through, through, through product of like self-awareness, right. And an understanding of myself and understanding of my values. Um, and it is a city that I think sharpens you, you know, New York is put on this pedestal of, um, being like the place to go and be able to make it right. But I mean, there's difficulty in a lot of cities. Um, and DC has its unique type of how it's hard, you know, um, and that's, uh, you know, especially now. And so over time, I found different ways to be cognizant of the spaces that I'm in and, and what I can be contributing to them, you know, um, and it's easy to get distracted about the things happening in your home state. Um, you know, a lot of the problem is that a lot of people who are liberal move from their more conservative homes and then go here, right? And so you've got people from all over the place um, that aren't doing that back there. And so I learned from people over time how they were being involved and 
So this past, in these past couple of months, I got involved with the local chapter of LULAC. Um, I'm paying attention more to like local politics, right? Um, with, I think DC was in a very unique place this summer um, through product of us being an early hotspot for you know the COVID-19 pandemic uh, through proximity of our closeness to New York were an international city. And so there was a lot of traffic in and out, um, you know, there's so many ways. And so when we locked down, we felt it, you know, pretty hard, um, not necessarily compared to New York, but it, we, we got hit. Right. And, you know, months of that, and then did the death of George Floyd happened and murder of George Floyd happened. And, um, and DC has a very contentious relationship um, with authority in a number of ways, right? A lot of people don't realize that if you're a citizen of DC, you don't have representation in Congress. Uh, we have a delegate, but um, you'll see a lot of DC license plates that say taxation without representation. It's because we don't have any senators. We don't have an officially elected congressperson, right? So it's a population, a city that has a population larger than like South Dakota and a couple other states, maybe right. one or two. I can't remember off the top of my head, but, and we don't have representation and we have city council. Um, we started having a mayor in the seventies. Um, wow. in, in DC's history, there's never been a white mayor. Most people don't realize how black this city originally was. Right. And so, um, DC is a microcosm of the colonialism that is the United States. Um, I myself, living where I'm living, have you know contribute to the gentrification, right? Um, and so all of that cooked together, and you know Mayor Muriel Bowser, um, who people have got a lot of good things to say about her, and or not, um, there's a lot of valid criticisms, and and so we just had so many protests, and so I think that pushed a lot of people's consciousness to a place of like, wait, what am I doing, right? Like like I said. Right. Um, and so I think that that forced people to reckon with having to be more involved and understanding that they, that they weren't really doing anything before. Um, you know, me and my fiance had, had conversations about his awareness rising. Right. And I was surprised to see like things that he was doing more and not having understood why he wasn't doing them before. Um, and then myself pushing myself to be more involved, paying attention, um, and it's cities like this that also need a lot of work because when you have this, when you perceive yourself as being so liberal, you don't realize all the institutional racism, institutional sexism, transphobia that are products of your environment um, and that are affecting people, but that you're just like, oh, there's a rainbow sidewalk. So like we were all right. I was just having this conversation where a lot of either companies or just organizations are doing those like surface level things where it's like, we're naming the street or we're rechanging this thing, which are good, you know, movement mm -hmm. for progress, but does that, you know, sidetrack from like the systemic issues, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well, there are still cops, Brianna Taylor's, you know, murderers haven't been. So all of these things that are those things, distractions are those things, towards the right way and do we give you know and i mm -hmm. and i wonder if like that faux progressive white liberalism is mm -hmm. the death knell of a lot of things you know um yeah you know i think that the 
I think what we, what I'm choosing to view, and I think what we should view the most recent iteration of protests uh, and what it sparked was a reckoning of whiteness, right? right. The mm -hmm. understanding that white supremacy does not exist solely in the Republican party, right? White supremacy doesn't solely exist in Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, right? Um, and it's that same way of being like, oh, I live in a really great city, so surely things are more progressive here. And, right. and they maybe are, um, but not in a way that has addressed the system, right? And so when you, and when you think of, you know, as someone from Texas, and I think you can identify with this as someone from Florida, I think the two of us especially get used as punching bags for like all the things that are racist and sexist and blah, 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 blah. But there's plenty of fucking racism in New York, Boston, Philly, um, a lot of places, right? And so this reckoning of whiteness, I think did, you know, come for the white liberals and people that were like, wait, am I racist? And realizing all these ways that you contribute to it, right? There's I've had to reevaluate how I operate within my whiteness and I've been doing social justice work for over a decade. Um, and so I think that part of what we didn't maximize on a lot during the um, sort of uprising was people understanding that it wasn't just about cops, right? Like that. It, and, and I think we started getting there, right. It got to, police and it got to the legal system and people were like wait that too and then it got a little stupid right like changing the name from master bedroom people were like no one asked for this you know right. what i mean and i think there is value to it to be honest with you right like i think that everything can be beneficial but it's just like if you're only painting the street to say black lives matter and you're not doing with the work to make them matter, then that's, that's the super right? And it's, yeah. And it's not the, this, or it's a, and right. Uh -huh. So if you're going to mm -hmm. paint the sidewalk that then great. Mm -hmm. Are you also going to move policy forward that way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. And so to shift kind of gears on all of that, what, sure. we have an election coming up, right? We do, apparently. Uh, what? And so keeping count. 82 days. I'm yeah, from right. today when we're recording it, everyone. This is 82 days. So now you all know when we recorded this. But point being, why why is this election going to be so crucial? You know, they're talking, you know, every year, every four years, you always hear this is the, this is the, election. This is the election of our lifetime. This is the election of our lifetime. And you hear that quite frequently. Is that different now? I mean, when the president is going after the postal service to try to tamper with the election, and you know that is like historic voter right. tampering, right? I think what we need, and and I think what we need to do is we need to stop seeing that as just defeating Trump, right? This is the problem with. This is the downfall of just getting Trump out of office, right? Because everyone focuses on the large election, right? Myself, I wasn't even really focusing on um, local elections, right? Because I was a DC city council. It's fine. I can, me and my boyfriend can walk down the street and holding hands. I can wear short shorts. Like right. we got all these gay bars. And then you start looking into it and you're like, why are they still on city council? Like what? what? Um, right. And so we need to look at it as that Trump is a system of a failed, uh, Trump is a symptom of a failed system, right? He is 
just an example of what it is. Um, and so, but he does have an immense amount of power, right? If we're cutting down on mail-in voting, um, if the things that he is has saying and the things that he has done, if he wins again, it is a validation, right? It is a mandate that that was all okay and it'll only get worse, right? right. Um, and, you know, this election is so important because I think with the second campaign of Bernie, right, the conversation on what like what the left needs to do picked up more steam, right? I think over time I've gotten pushed more and more and more to the left. Um, but as I said earlier, white supremacy doesn't just exist in Alabama, right? Racism doesn't just exist there, right? We, we've seen more and more that um, what, what I've been particularly upset about in the past couple of days, right? So to time check, we're a day after, uh, two days after Kamala Harris was announced as uh, Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate, right? Yeah. And it's just so many white cis men, cis men in general, white men in general, white people in general that apparently are experts on race and they're pulling the same shit that they did with Hillary. They're like, well, I don't hate Hillary because she's a woman. I like Jill right. Stein. Right. And everyone has some other black woman that they wanted to vote for, right. but just not Kamala. Right. right. Uh-huh. Stacey Abrams. When we <laughs> know that people would have had things to say about her. 100%. Right. 100%. Right? Um, and and yeah, and so this I think this election is important also because we need to take a look at the way in which our structure has evolved, social media has evolved, all these things have allowed and enabled um, so many horrible people to be candidates, right? Like some district in Georgia, um, a QAnon supporter just won no, uh, the candidacy in the Republican primary, right? And she um, she said something about um, no proof that there was a plane that hit the Pentagon, baby. If she gets elected and that ass gets to to Capitol Hill, it's going to be a lot of widows and people who lost their parents at the Pentagon that are like, "What did you just say?" And here's the thing. Here's and this is where I've been. What grinds my gears? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things lately, but one in particular, and I've been thinking about this a lot, critical thinking, right? The, the the idea of critically thinking about something, seeing something and saying, well, let me think about that. Let me see other points of views. Let me just – that skill set, non-existent. And you know, there was a tweet that was like, damn, I wish I didn't have access to critical thinking. Y'all, see so da- y'all seem so damn happy. And <laughs> – Right. Like ignorance is bliss. But the problem with that, though, is and and I'll be honest with you, I've had this um, I've had this understanding with my mother. Mm -hmm. My mom was born in 1967 in Kiwani, Illinois, which is like I don't know where it is. Um, It's like rural. And then they moved to LaPorte, Indiana, which is like, have you ever heard of LaPorte, Indiana? No. My boyfriend didn't even know where Indiana was. No one knows where the fuck LaPorte, Indiana is. Right. but my mom was like at school, like right after the civil rights right era um, and civil rights movement. And so like they weren't trying to be like, hey, the FBI killed them. OK, you know what I mean? Like or 
this, that, and the other, the third, right? Like there, there was no knowledge of that. And so I've come to find out. So my mom would text me when she, when she was 17. I've come to realize my mom doesn't even know that she doesn't know a lot of things, right? Like she, you know, she learned about, uh, the first time she ever heard about Black Panthers was in Forrest Gump. She didn't know the history of blackface until like two weeks ago. Um, right. And, and so she doesn't, I don't, doesn't, I don't think doesn't know that she doesn't have all the critical thinking skills required to be able to discern propaganda. Right. I remember my my mom aren't Facebooks anymore. I recommend to everyone, don't be Facebook friends with your mom unless like they're as progressive (laughs) as you are. Yeah. Cause it's like really stressful. Um, (laughs) you know, uh, like two years ago, she shared some meme that was like, um, the media says that Muslims are, um, offended by football. Share this if you don't care. Or like the constitution or some shit. I was like, mom, the fuck is what? And it has like an Eagle in the background and like some white woman that's afraid somewhere. (laughs) And my mom doesn't, couldn't understand. She was like, well, that's what I heard. And I'm like, from fucking who, you know? Um, and so she doesn't have that, but we need to realize that there are systems in place that stop her from having those things, right? Like that's a fantastic point. That really, you know, I appreciate that because I think you're right. And where where are those systems that have failed? That mm-hmm. right? Like, is it education? Is it is it other systems that are in place that, especially for the new age that we're in, this election is going to be on our laptops. This mm-hmm. election is going to be on our phones. There's, you know, how do you? How do you sift through that bullshit? And that's, I think, really what's worrying. Not worrying, but also kind of like, that's a tough, this is brand new territory. Yeah. With QAnon, those things, like, it's crazy to me because I've worked with human trafficking victims, right, with the work mm-hmm. I do. And then to see these people all of a sudden, A, give a shit, one. Two, like, think they know what they're talking about, but then it's like, wait, you have no idea what you're talking about. It's just wild to me. That That's wild. And- and the problem that I think that exists is that we think that that indoctrination and that false information is only on the right, right? Everyone's like, oh, on. Right. But like, I just watched a video that broke down the numbers of the number of black men that Kamala Harris was possibly responsible for incarcerating, right? And I always heard like thousands and this and so many numbers and all this and after a while, your echo chamber sort of convinces you of that. I came into the Democratic primary as a Kamala supporter. Um, Me too. I, yeah. <laughs> Look yeah girl. Um, and, and like after a while, I and I still stick by, I didn't feel like she was able to adequately address those things, right? I didn't feel like she was able to give the answer. Now, is that because media doesn't listen to black people is that because media disproportionately doesn't listen to black women. There's a thousand reasons as to that. Right. 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 And you know, she's anti-cop from the right and she's a cop according to the left. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and I also, I, I've started to real, and I'm someone that I shared a meme once that, you know, called Kamala a cop. And I realize now the issue that I have with it, that is a cop as a position disproportionately, we've seen um, abuses black bodies, especially black women. Um, And so like, that's the joke is like done. Like 
I, as a white person, I don't feel comfortable saying that, right? Because I know that cops don't like the likelihood that a cop would be more gentle with me than Kamala Harris is still out there. Right. You know what I mean? Like if me and Kamala Harris were both out somewhere where a cop didn't know that he was the vice president, or she was the vice president of Canada of the United States, then there's no reason to believe that I wouldn't feel safer in that moment. Right. Um, and so that misinformation is everywhere. Right. It's cause fucking Mark Zuckerberg is like, a snake creature that became a human and doesn't want to take responsibility, right? Like it's white men again, just not wanting to take responsibility for anything. Um, and we don't, you know, Twitter, I think, I think Twitter is like one of the biggest cesspools in the world. Um, I find myself like getting into arguments and then I go and it's like zero followers. And I'm like, I'm either arguing with a child or a bot. Like, and I've just wasted hours of my time and now I'm stressed, you know, like, right. And so that's that back to the point. The election is so important because they're neat. We need to look into these things, right? Like we need to find a way to make our elections fair, right? Like we need to combat gerrymandering from uh-huh. a top-down approach, right? This is why I'm so obsessed with Stacey Abrams because I think that she has the potential to like fix the South. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so this is why this election, there's so many things it's, it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's any type of right you can think about. It's right. the liberty and justice for all is like up on the ballot chopping block. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. I think we, one, if anyone's listening and they haven't registered to vote, register to vote, um, you know, and, and I don't know and I can't see, you know, in 2016 and people before, People were, oh, I don't get involved with politics or I don't like politics or, you know, and I had heard that from people at this point, four years of what we've been seeing. Can you say that? And apparently some people can't because they still are. And that's wild to me. Like, what do you, how do you respond? How do you, I mean, here's the thing. Go ahead. No, no, I was, I have no, idea. like, how do you respond to something? It, like it goes back to, you know, the issue with response to the COVID-19 pandemic has, I think, been inaccurately politicized by everyone thinking that it's only, um, you know, conservatives that don't want to wear masks or um, X, Y, and Z, right? And I think that what it, re- it what it really reflects is the difference between individualism and collectivism, right? Like this right. Uh, view that I, 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 right? And individuality or, and the importance of protecting individual rights is a bit more of a conservative value, right? And so I think that's why we see more Republicans or conservatives up in arms about that, right? It's also because there's this indoctrination of the fear of the boogeyman, right? Like everything is our rights being infringed on, right? That's why, you know, when people are like, oh, you shouldn't get the face app because like China or like the government. And I'm like, you know, we go and get our pictures taken for our IDs, right? Like the government has been having our face forever, right? But it creates this fear, right? And so this lack of feeling like the need to be involved, and it's why we have such abysmal, embarrassing participation rates in elections is because we built this individualism into our core from the beginning. Right. And, you know, one of the funny things that started with the 
pandemic was, you know, when people were like, well, it's like the flu or the flu kills X amount of people every year. And it's like, wait, now at a place now that we know about masks, right? I'm like, and I just had this conversation, um, I took an Uber to from work today. And we were talking about it. And I was like, wait, if, well, I saw some numbers like 94,000, I, if that's wrong, I apologize. This is what I'm going off of. People <laughs> die from the flu every year, right? It's like, wait, all this time, if we had been wearing masks, maybe just like a little bit more, like, you know, I, I could have had the flu and given it to someone and then like someone's grandma died, right? You know what I mean? Or someone, right. someone died, right? You hear about people dying from the flu and just kind of like, that's eh, a thing. But this lack of feeling like you need to be involved or this lack of feeling like wearing a fucking mask or not going to a circuit party or not going to a whatever just so that it can benefit other people, right? There's certain types of people that respond similarly, I think. And it's people that are products of individualism, right? And it's not to say that they're bad people. It's just that the way that their values have been crafted has been in one in which they focus on like what will or will not affect them, right? That's why people say the mask isn't effective because it might not prevent you from getting it, but it like will definitely make it less likely that you'll give it to someone else. And then, and then now they're changing the little wording on that so that people will start wearing masks. Cause they're yeah, right, 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 right. And the elections is that same piece. But I also think that it's by design, right? Like we're built to um, not be able to see the change or even if you do vote, right? Like, cause people went out and voted. The majority of people voted for Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump still won, right? So, like, if there's no better indication that the system is meant to make us feel like our vote doesn't matter, it's that, right? Right. And so I think that there is an equal part of individualism of, like, well, I don't need to do anything, right? Right. That's reflected in mask wearing or how you respond to the pandemic and the election cycle. Um, But also this feeling of, like, we're made to feel so dumb, right? And we're made to feel so hopeless, right? Um, that I think that that's what contributes to why people aren't civ- civically engaged. And there's also a lot of shame in it, right? Like you feel like, well, I don't know. So I don't want to ask cause I'm embarrassed. I want to seem dumb, all those things. Right. I think those are all contributing factors as to why uh, people aren't involved. Yeah. Well, and so Nathan, you were telling me earlier, you're all, you're starting a podcast soon yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little about that. Yeah. So, um, the working name is Identity, T-E-A, um, and it's a friend of mine um, that uh, we're fraternity brothers, and we met um, in the summer of 2012, um, and we just have like a good energy together. Um, he is citizen straight. Um, he is his mom is Mexican, his dad is black, um, and my mom is white, and my dad is Mexican, um, and I'm like gay um and so we Wait, what's like gay, what's like <laughs> like gay? sometimes so we have these competing dynamics in terms of privilege right um and how we have how our dynamics play out um in different settings um is kind of what we want to like flesh out and use as a prompt right so in our fraternity uh similar beta it's predominantly latino right he presents as more black um, and obviously presents as very white. Um, and so we kind of joked for a while that like 
together. We were a full Mexican and Obama. Um, that was like, if you like reassess with friends. Right. And so, but within our fraternity, you know, um, there are, I would say there's different dynamics depending on what you're looking at, where he hold, holds privilege over me because he's straight. Um, and the fraternity is, you know, overwhelmingly straight. Right. And so in those environments, I was operating from a place about thinking about oppression. Right. But then when we go out into the world, he's a black man and I'm white. Um, and so there's just different dynamics that we have and we want to use this as an opportunity to facilitate conversations, uh, that look at privilege, power, and difference, talk about social justice. I mean, he also watches drag race, you know what I mean? Um, and so like there's pop culture things that we have in common that you wouldn't expect us to, um, and so that's kind of what we want to do with it is talk about different issues and also model ways to ask each other about things um, when you want to learn more. Right. Um, and when you want to get an idea of where someone's coming from. Right. And so there's experiences that he has that I don't understand and vice versa. There's you know, we might have different vantage points on issues or, or you know, pop culture, hot topics. Um, and we feel different ways about different things. And, and we're both a little more left of each other on certain things, but also just really aligned on a lot of stuff. And so we're using that sort of difference in identity as a prompt of how to respond and look at different uh, social issues. That's fantastic. That's something I think a lot of people are going to want to listen to. So yeah, good. Hopefully. Yeah. Heck yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, so uh, identity, I love that. Yeah. That's cute. That's well done, well done. It was actually his idea, so <laughs> the T sign, right? <laughs> See, he's a keeper. Okay, right? I know he's like the he's like married, and everyone that every time I put up a picture, someone's like, "Oh, who's Adam? He's not gay." Right. Um, and, but he's right. like the perfect straight guy because he's. I'm like, he like will text me every He's like, "Oh my god," and I'm like, "Oh my god." You know what? There are some of those perfect straight guys. Out I know, there. right? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My fiance doesn't love straight people. At the time. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. But having been in a fraternity like you, yeah, exactly. you've got good ones out there that you want to keep. I, I also paid my dues. My like percentage of like <laughs> straight people I have in my life right now, I'm like, mm. very, very few, right? <laughs> That's awesome, Nathan. Well, thank you so much you for know, taking the time. This really blew crazy. by. I know. <laughs> this, it's like just that, me right? talking. No, not at all. But thank you so much, Nathan, for sharing your your thoughts. Um, hopefully, Thanks. when people listen to this, we have a Joe Biden uh, Harris administration at some point. Let's hope. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Yo Soy, and don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Yo Soy Podcast. Thank you so much, and don't forget. El amor es lo más importante en el mundo. Bye.